Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast. My name is David Law. I'm joined by Catherine Whittaker on this show, which is brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Catherine is back from Paris. The French Open is still very much going on and it is at the business end because... Andy Murray's into the final for the first time in his career. He's the first British man to do so since Bunny Austin in 1937. No man from Great Britain has won this event since 1935 and Fred Perry. But he has the ultimate challenge to come through if he's to win it. He's got to face Novak Djokovic, who's trying to win his first ever French Open title to complete the career Grand Slam. We've got Serena Williams trying to join Steffi Graf on 22 Grand Slam titles. She's up against Garbina Muguruza, who I think Catherine and I have been feeling that is the heir to Serena's throne for a while now. And what we do know is we are in for a seriously emotional weekend. Catherine, you're back from Paris... And you've been finally greeted with some tennis, thankfully, after a soggy few days. And it doesn't really get much better than this, does it, as a prospect? Tennis-wise, no. I mean, a few of the factors you mentioned there are are detractors from what's going on. You know, the the rain and the thoroughly miserable conditions. I mean, it sounded like it was about 10 degrees in Paris today, which is what it was in London as well. And it is pretty miserable um, you know, the condition, the the fact that Paris is going through a difficult time at the moment, you know, the floods are really, really serious, I feel for them. And, and that's obviously impacting on the crowds, which, uh, you know, broke my heart a little bit to see how empty the stadium was for, uh, for how empty Philippe Chatrier was to see for Serena walking on court today while Serena and Kiki Burton's. But, you know, I mean, it's still, there are still going to be two singles champions at the end of the week. And those two titles will still be as important and significant to them and to the tennis world as any other Grand Slam title uh, in history, possibly more so um, to, well, possibly more so full stop because it would be Muguruza's first, it would be Serena's record equaling 22nd, it would be Andy Murray's incredible first clay court Grand Slam and it would be Novak Djokovic completing the career Grand Slam. So actually, you know, it's, it is... Tennis-wise, matches-wise, it is all there and it's all brilliant. It's just there are these other factors going on which you can't ignore that are, I mean, in some ways making it more interesting, but in other ways detracting from it a little, I suppose. You're right. It, it is. It's been heartbreaking, actually, the last couple of days to see. I, I must admit, not having been in Paris, I wasn't aware of quite how serious these floods are. I saw some of the photos today, some of our colleagues, Stuart Fraser, one or two other people, taking photos 
of the streets of Paris, places that are normally inhabited by people walking along, jogging along rivers, um, driving along, and, and yet these roads and streets are just not passable because of the sheer... They're not visible, David. The They're not visible. No. Um, yeah, I mean, my my journey to the Gardino yesterday took an hour and a half because of how many roads were closed due to flooding. It's really, really serious, and more rain is forecast. I mean, it did rain torrentially and relentlessly for about two and a half days in Paris. It really was. It was like the apocalypse. Um, so I'm not surprised they're experiencing experiencing some issues and I just hope I mean I hope full stop that Paris is okay um flooding wise but I, I in particular hope it can be okay until the end of Sunday and we can get the tennis played yeah we can get a little bit precious in our tennis bubble can't we at times I think we all huddle together and talk about how this is going wrong and that day was two hours and one minute and no refunds were given and start complaining about this that and the other and the the, the sheer fact is that there's a lot more important things in life than, than just the tennis and of course Paris in particular has gone through a pretty torrid time of late one thinks of the the terrorist atrocities late last year as well and it's it's been just a miserable time for the city in that regard and those measures allied to the the extra security that's obviously been in place at Roland Garros they've also got the issue I mean it's it's a it's a, a better news uh, issue that obviously Euro 2016 is about to, to start the football as well so perhaps that's taken uh, people's attentions away in terms of saving up to go and see a sporting event and and it has led to these really depleted crowds well, and well, what I want to know is are the tickets sold out and people not showing up in which case, you know, that's one issue, and I'm sure that the flooding is having an impact, or are the tickets not sold. That I mean, well, as far as I, I don't have that information, I can't find that information. The gist of what I heard today is that they were selling, certainly on on Philippe Chatrier, and people weren't coming. But I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Certainly on Suzanne Longlong, where. They had to play the extra matches uh, simultaneously today, which will make our discussion of the semi-finals a little tricky on one count because I know I, I, my attention was concentrated throughout the day on Philippe Chatrier, which meant that I missed the Muguruza Stosa match to the, to a large degree. Same with Djokovic against team. Those matches all had to be played at the same time just to get this thing finished on time. And it, it has been a logistical nightmare for the organisers. I really feel for them in that regard. Plus for the players. I mean, this is a real test. These, the players that have come through here have really shown yet again what they're made of. Because if you think about Murray with his two back-to-back five-setters in the first two rounds, OK, that's, you could say that's of his own making. Uh, Novak Djokovic having to come through that, what was it, three-day match against uh, Bautista Regut. We've got Serena Williams playing four matches in four days in order to try to win this tournament. And Muguruza will have had a, a similar story. This is a a really testing, trying period of time for these players, and they've come through with flying colours. Yeah, word on the organisers. I mean, they really, really, there there have been some sad-looking faces behind the scenes. I've, I've really felt for them. You know, I know they haven't necessarily made every decision perfectly in the way that people have wanted to, but I think, you know, they've been trying to do their best. Poor old Guy Forget in his first year in the job. Thank goodness he's as good a public face as he is because they've been holding impromptu Guy Forget press conferences pretty much every day um, for the last week, and he's very, very good at them. Um, they did do so, I think, in very 
difficult circumstances, they were actually able to create quite a positive today, which was that obviously they weren't expecting to have two semi-finals on Longland today. Um, and they made the tickets for that available at €20 Euros, and they gave priority to those that had tickets for Philippe Chatrier the other day, who saw two hours and one minute of play, the cutoff being two hours to receive any kind of refund. And they didn't receive that refund because of that one precious minute that took them over the threshold but those people those understandably quite angry people uh, from the other day it, w- it was the day that they saw the the first set in a bit well first set I think actually of uh, of Roberto Bautista Gut and uh, the resumption of, of the women's match before it they uh, they received priority for tickets on Longland today and I think that was a very very uh, wise and smart move from them so um so yeah, it's been, it's been a really tough time for them. Tough time for the players. I mean, I suppose for the women, you could say. I mean, they were being asked about it a lot, and they just said, "Well, we do this every week of the year. We play back to back three set matches." And 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 I suppose you know this this leads this into you know my point. I do think women should be playing five sets at some stage of Grand Slams, um, and you know it sort of highlights the point. I suppose that. Actually, it isn't any more of a physical test at Grand Slam level for women than it is for men. In in on one side of the coin, it's less of a test because in normal circumstances they do get a day off between matches. They ha- they're not getting that now, um, but that's because of these extraordinary circumstances. So anyway, but that as we know, is a very different and very time-consuming debate, which we won't get on to now. Well, actually, just on it, quickly on it, though, Catherine, because I am going to get into it. Uh, I, I, The one thing for me about it as well, take the equality element aside, when you get to a big final like this, Muguruza against Serena Williams, what I don't want is somebody to just come out cold and, and nervous and not have time to get settled out there. I realise that is part of the, the occasion, is is trying to, to settle quickly and so forth, but best of five gives a player time to get, to gather themselves and just get comfortable in the surroundings. I'm thinking of Muguruza, obviously not Serena Williams, who's who's won so many. And I, I think you would you, you, you safeguard yourself then against the blowout final that actually isn't very good. But anyway, as you said, that's a, another point. In terms of the, the routes to this women's final, which will take place on Saturday, Serena Williams has been serene for the most part. And then the last couple of rounds have been really testing. I mean, Kiki Burton's came in today. It was fascinating seeing a player who'd, who'd apparently got a calf injury and you could see that she couldn't run. She just decided, I'm not going to run to certain balls. And Serena Williams had cottoned on to the injury. She was drop-shotting way more than she normally would. We've now learned, thanks to uh, the detective work of Marion Bartoli, that uh, there is a, an injury concern for Serena Williams. In fact, Serena, I think, took two hours to come to her press conference last night because she was having treatment. Do you know how long it it lasted once she got there, David? How long? Three minutes. Three Three minutes. minutes. Everyone waited for two hours for a three-minute press conference. I bet they were a good three minutes, though, weren't they? (laughs) Anyway, uh, Serena Williams, uh, as quick on the court as she is off the court, as you could see. But she... I mean, she doesn't look overly inhibited on the court certainly um i don't think she wanted to reveal that information so uh, that could be an interesting conversation with marion bartley but you know fair enough to bartley she works in the media now uh but it's um it's it, going to be interesting isn't it that that final against a player 
who is one of the few that doesn't seem to be intimidated. Yeah, I mean, first, firstly, I am loving those post-match on-court interviews between Marion Bartley and Serena Williams. There is more than a touch of awkwardness. Uh, and I think Marion Bartley actually deals with it very well because uh, that's that's a tough gig, I think. Um, yeah, but they're, oh, yeah, they're certainly entertaining. Um, well, I've commentated with Marion and she doesn't really give a two hoots about who she's no. talking to she's just herself she's quite happy and confident enough to be herself and but i'm sure she'll be aware of <laughs> of, the, of the slight hint of awkwardness i mean you'd you'd be mad not to but anyway it provides her entertaining uh viewing for us so uh, it's absolutely fine by me um yeah i mean i don't think serena's seemed i mean everybody said her progress has been serene but i don't think she seemed particularly serene behind the scenes. I mean, I don't know. I, there's been after a few of her press conferences, there's been some murmuring from journalists about possibly, you know, she's whether a cold or just some whether she's perhaps been suffering from hay fever. A lot of people have been over the past fortnight. The pollen count was particularly high, even for this time of year in Paris. And I've no idea if Serena is a hay fever sufferer, but certainly there were some signs that she was a bit bunged up or sniffly or just, you know, something not quite right. And certainly we saw symptoms of that against Yulia Putin-Seva. I mean, that was <laughs> that was quite an emotional roller coaster, wasn't it? It was one of those ones where, you know, once she got her comeback on track, she was doing that fist pump where she crouches over and she she just seems to, you know, her whole face contorts. She was doing that whole body fist pump where her knee goes up and her her fist goes up and her face contorts and it's all all consuming after every single point that she won um and that sh- that for me is an indicator that she's battling through something I don't you know, know how- but that might be stress Catherine because yeah. I, I was listening today I was watching Eurosport and Chris Evert was in commentary and she was saying nobody realizes just the the stress that you go through when you're being shot at all the time, when you're the one expected to win because you're the top seed and they're all gunning for you. And she he, she was saying that she reckons Serena finds that difficult. And if you look at the last couple of slams, that would appear to add up. Absolutely. And then that brings us back to what um, Simon Briggs and I were discussing in our last podcast a few days ago about how related, you know, the physical and the mental are, you know, stress-related injuries or stress-caused injuries are a very, very real thing. And they and the symptoms are exactly the same. It's just the causes are, you know, slightly more unfathomable or certainly unfathomable for, for us as, as mere bystanders and non-scientific professionals. Um, so I'm, oh, I'm absolutely sure all of that goes into it. I mean, we, we cannot imagine those circumstances that we, we just can't imagine. And, you know, I know I joke about a three-minute press conference, but from my, from what I understand, it wasn't three minutes because, you know, she walked out or refused to answer questions. It was just she answered the questions that were given to her. She revealed what she wanted to and kept the rest to herself, which is entirely her prerogative, as frustrating as it is for journalists. And that was that. There was nothing more to be said and she's you know it's self-preservation isn't it she is going for history she's going to break the record and you know given what happened in Australia when it seemed to be you know destined not to mention what happened in 
New York, you can understand her completely wanting to shield herself from anything that might interfere with that. So, you know, I, I, of, of course stress is a factor. Of course it is. I just don't think we can fathom the ways in, and the specifics of that because it's just so far from anything we'll have ever experienced. Yeah, and uh, I, I think in her opponents as well, we have somebody that is a bit of an unknown. Uh, in terms of sheer physical stature and ability and and weapons, we have somebody who can stand nearly toe-to-toe -to -toe with Serena Williams. I don't think anybody can when she's really absolutely firing, particularly the, the serve, can just take the racket out of the hand. But Muguruza is, is a player who's had mini roller coasters over the last couple of years when she's been absolutely on a game she's not far off unplayable herself she's had some some difficult periods only short ones i would say always highlighted i think by the fact that they have the on-court coaching at the uh, wta events and we actually get to hear her conversations with her her coach sam sumick which have sometimes been rather animated and she's given him a pretty hard time but she i, I think she's a a joy to have her on the tennis circuit, a really good news story for, for women's tennis and for tennis in general. And I just wondered, though, do you feel that there is anything that you've seen? I mean, you went for Simona Halep to reach the final. Everybody hear that? Uh, and uh, I obviously went for Garbini Muguruza. Have you seen anything, though, Catherine, that makes you think that Serena Williams won't win this final? Oh, I think there's quite a significant chance that she won't win the final she's going to have to play so much better than she has done for the last couple of rounds and probably better than she has done at any stage during the tournament I think um yeah I think she's the favorite but not by a mile not not by much actually um I think Muguruza has a real chance you know on the subject of self-preservation by the way Muguruza's a really interesting one I agree with you that she's good for tennis I think she's a really nice girl really nice woman um but she has changed remarkably over the past two years in terms of how she um presents herself to the press i suppose i remember i did her press conference after she beat serena at the french open two years ago and that was her announcement onto the tennis stage it was an extraordinary uh, day that day 2014 I think the second round she beat her completely comprehensively two and two I think and uh, it was quite something and and she came in and she was this bubbly completely open girl it was almost like verbal diarrhea you know any question that she was asked you know she just laid herself completely on the line and every thought that was in her head tumbled out um, and she's completely the opposite of that now. She's still warm and, and nice and, and friendly and perfectly personable, but she doesn't reveal a thing in press conferences. You know, she's she's Maria Sharapova in that respect, who gives nothing away. Um, you know, it's this it's this wall between her and the world. And, and again, as frustrating that is for journalists, it does seem to be a trait that champions have they you know it's it's something that that maybe um you learn to develop if if you really are ambitious and intent on succeeding and she seems to have it um so i i think she will win grand slams i think she could win this one as i say serena's the favorite but not by much in my book and it is 
blimey, pretty split. I'm just looking at the poll that I've run, obviously, uh, at T- Tennis Podcast on Twitter. And we have a pretty split vote here. My goodness. In fact, we have 52% of the vote going for Magarutha. So... 48 going for Serena, 52 for Muguruza, and the majority think Muguruza, 39% of all votes that Muguruza will win in three sets. I mean, there are there's a strong representation for all four potential outcomes. And, you know, I think that, that it is that kind of final, isn't it? If you think of their head-to-head, they've, all of their matches, all four matches have been at Grand Slam tournaments. They've never played anywhere else. And so they've been on the big stages. It's 3-1 to... Serena Williams, but Muguruza has won their one match at Roland Garros and she won it 6-2-6-2 a couple of years ago in the second round. We have that Wimbledon final to think about last year that uh, was was pretty competitive and uh, Serena won that in three sets. So, I mean, if they both play to the best, we're going to have a, a really good final. Absolutely. I think if... I mean, this is a completely redundant thing to say, I suppose, but if they both play to their best, Serena Williams wins because... Her best is still the best. But I think the peak tennis that each of them have played throughout the tournament, I think Muguruza's has been better. I don't think Serena Williams has reached her peak. But then she hasn't had to, you know. She's had to fight against Putin Saver. But she still didn't have to produce her very best tennis to win that. She just had to sort of dig deep emotionally, um, I think. So it's going to be really interesting. I I mean, I, I wouldn't put Muguruza as the marginal favourite but I do agree with with how close that that polling has come because you know I think it is close and I just desperately hope that it's a really really competitive final I mean we can only dream of it being as good as the Australian Open final Uh, but if it comes close then that'll be just great. One thing, uh, turning the attention to the men's final now Catherine that you mentioned if both players play at their best, Serena Williams wins. A point made by Mats Valander on Eurosport today was that Stan Wawrinka's best tennis is probably going to beat anybody. But the yep. point he also made is that Andy Murray has the ability to stop you playing your best tennis. And I think we saw that to a tee in the quarterfinals when he played against a really firing Richard Gasquet and he, he just kept on throwing drop shot after drop shot in his direction and I think most of us who've spent a more than a decade watching Andy Murray uh, hit drop shots and wondering whether it's the right thing to be doing we're getting maybe frustrated if if they were if they were observing this because they're wondering is it a good tactic or not but it felt to me as the match wore on that this isn't just about trying to win points this is about trying to turn the tide of a match overall the long game wear him out and I don't think you can do that as much against Vavrinka physically because he's he's a warrior of a man. But I do think he got in Vavrinka's head because Vavrinka came out and played the, one of the best games of tennis in the first game of the match that I've ever seen. I've seen Sampras once play a game like that where he just hit four perfect winners, all different types. I've seen Federer do it, obviously, a, a number of times. But this was Vavrinka peak Vavrinka for a game and he won that first game to love he he came on strong in the second and Murray just held on but the variety that sometimes can be Andy Murray's undoing the last couple of rounds have been the making of him getting to this final obviously he's in great form he's hitting the ball incredibly hard he's not afraid to mix it and stand toe-to-toe with Stan Vavrinka and he was coming out on top but the variety generally speaking was just bamboozling the guy 
Yeah, I mean the Andy Murray drop shot is is uh, it's a very interesting talking point because yes, there are some um, matches where he employs it to perfection. Um, he he seems like a drop shot genius some matches, and then what happens is he thinks, "Oh great, you know this drop shot's really working for me," and then he goes into a match where it's not the appropriate tactic, and he's drop shotting left left right and center, and and he gets a bit self indulgent with the drop shot. I think he's almost sort of goading himself into, you know, is this, is this, is this going to be a drop shot day? So, I mean, yes, sometimes it can seem like a genius thing to do and they're all coming off and there is no more sort of beguiling shot in tennis really is there maybe the lob, but I mean, when you hit a perfect drop shot and it comes off, you know, perfect idea, perfect execution. You just look like a master tennis player, don't you? So, uh, yeah, I mean, in the past few rounds, it has looked like an enormous weapon for Andy Murray. It's less of a weapon against Djokovic. I think he'll need to be a lot more sparing with it. I don't think he can charge into that match thinking, right, well, the drop shot's got me in through the last two matches. So, uh yeah, the drop shot's going to get me through this one. I'm sure he won't, you know. he, I'm sure he won't, but uh, not against Novak Djokovic, not in a final. But I think he has perhaps been guilty of that before. But yeah, it's been tactically really astute from Andy Murray. I mean, that Gasquet match, it all felt so predictable to me. I know that's harsh on Richard Gasquet. He played some wonderful tennis for two sets. It was the most magnificent tennis match. But you just knew at every stage of that second set... You just knew, well, I I felt like I just knew, Murray's going to just win this and then it's going to be two very, very one-sided sets afterwards. I I mean, maybe others felt differently, but I I, I felt like the writing was on the wall, yeah, pretty much from the start. That that whole match followed exactly the pattern that you'd, you'd probably have expected from it. I mean, today's one against Favrinka... Uh, I didn't predict that Murray would play that well, actually. I I, I think, I'm, I can't really think of a time when I've ever disagreed with Matt's, but I think that's really, really astute analysis. And I think there's, after big matches, you know, there's too much, oh, well, so-and-so didn't play their best. Well, how often do you play your best and lose? You know, half of losing is not being allowed to play your best. It's... It's not in your control whether or not you play your best tennis. Sometimes it is, but a lot of the time it isn't. Uh, and it certainly wasn't in Stan's control today. I mean, the conditions... Pat Cash was very interesting on uh, BBC Five Live Sports Extra during the commentary today. You know, he sat down he said he'd actually hit on Philippe Chatrier this morning. It was the only court available uh, for him to warm up uh, for his seniors match. They told him there's nowhere available to hit. And he said, what about Chatrier? That's that's free. And they said, all right, yeah, fill your boots. So uh, off they went to warm up for their Legends match on Chatrier. And obviously Pat Cash has played on there many times before, probably every other year. And he said he was blown away by how slow the conditions were. He was really startled by it. Um, and, you know, yeah, that's not ideal for Murray, but I'm quite sure that Vavrinka would have really, really hated those conditions. So, But then again, Murray capitalised on that. He played a really smart match for the conditions, for why, the Why would Vavrinka not have liked those conditions? Because the the, the theory that I've been hearing was that he, he was a player who could hit through those conditions. Yeah, but not not when Andy Murray's giving you drop shots and slices and he wants some pop off the ball he wants hitting through 
when you've got a, as good a retriever on the other side of the net as Andy Murray, if you're if you're trying to hit through, but the ball's sitting up nicely for one of the best defenders in the world to to get to the ball and and get back in the rally, that's no good to you, is it? So, and Andy Murray was just getting to everything. You know, there were a couple of retrievals. You know, where he he hit winners off balls where he was. It, you felt like he was just lucky to get there in the first place, let alone hit a winner off them. And you can just imagine Stan must have thought, what, what on earth have I got to do? Well, there was a great line from, from Matt's when it was two sets to love and uh, and Varinka was a breakdown as well in the third at that time. And and Varinka actually applauded Andy Murray. And, Varinka, and Valanda said, if you applaud your opponent when you're two sets to love and a breakdown... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. You know that the player means it because because you know he's he's desperately disappointed with how things are going and yet he's still able to acknowledge the brilliance of his opponent now of course we were unable because we were concentrating on that match to to properly follow Djokovic against team which was going on on the Suzanne Long Long court I thought it would be closer than than what it ended up being I think it shows how clever Djokovic is as a match player that these young players these new players on the block they they find it very difficult to do to to him in any way what they've been doing to everybody else. Maybe team perhaps got a little bit startled in the circumstance of being in his first Grand Slam semi-final as well. And also he's obviously played a heck of a lot of tennis as we talked about in our preview edition. But once again, Djokovic has come through a pretty tricky week. And, and I reckon he took an almighty telling off from from Boris Becker and uh, Marion Vida when he was a set down to Roberto Bautista Gutten and looking for an excuse it seemed to me at that stage he looked as though he was he was feeling as though the world is against him that 
for instance, Murray had already gone through to the quarters and here he was having to play this match over three days. I think he went off the court at the rain break and probably got a right old tenon off and told to just lighten up because that's when he came out with the umbrella. That's when he came out with a smile on his face and just seemed to make light of the situation and it made him a better player. Yeah, absolutely. He was in trouble there against Roberto Bautista and it was notable that he was... I mean, I suppose all of the people that that ended up winning those matches were less critical of the fact that they were they were made to play on on that ridiculously miserable, soggy, damp day where they got about two hours of play all in all. Um, but he did hold back from being overly critical because actually, I think it it saved him them coming off for the rain that he, that that on, at that particular moment. Um, I think that decision really, really did save his bacon a bit. And I suppose he could have, you know. Um, picked fault with being made to play in the play in the first place, and he did a little bit. He said it was right on the borderline, whereas uh, Radvanska and Simona Halep said it was completely unsafe. Rah rah rah! You know, you've got to take into account that they'd just come off the back of very very disappointing losses. I'm not saying they didn't have a point, but you know that I'm sure that was a factor. Djokovic said it was right on the cusp of safe and playable. Um, but yeah, I don't think he can have too many complaints because he was lucky. I'm quite sure, you know, um, who was it in commentary I was listening to the other day? I've heard so many commentators over the past few days saying, I think it was actually Mike Dixon again on Five Live Sports Extra saying he's a bit sceptical of the value that is placed on coaches and support teams he thinks that it's over egged a bit and and rather exaggerated uh in the modern game but when one time and it's not exaggerated when they really do earn their money is during rain delays and i think he's absolutely right in saying that i mean how 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 many times in history can you say that you know a rain delay has completely uh, interrupted the momentum of a match. You know, even Richard Gasquet against Kei Nishikori, he was down in that first set. Rain came, came back on, never looked back from there, accelerated towards the finish line. So, yeah, Djokovic had a little slice of luck. I'm not saying in other circumstances he wouldn't have come through that, but you're right, he was looking for excuses. He was, you know, he, he wasn't his usual composed self. He hasn't, to be fair. I, I, I like you, didn't see... The match against team today, by all accounts, it was pretty plain sailing and there was no need for him to get frayed around the edges at all. But we certainly have seen him frayed around the edges uh, in the past few days. And yesterday he was actually extremely lucky not to get defaulted um, by all accounts. Yes, there was no intent there with the racket throw, or as far as we know, we've got no reason to think there was intent there at all. But, you know, speak to Tim Henman about whether intent is required or not because he famously got def- defaulted from Wimbledon for for hitting a ball goal with the ball. Again, no intent, but it happened. And, uh, yeah, he was a whisker away from being defaulted from the French Open at the quarterfinal stage, which is an extraordinary thing, really. Yeah, it, it was. I, I do think it was completely accidental, having seen the video footage. But you are quite right. I, I mean, I think it was accidental when... David Nalbandian kicked a, a, a line judge's um, box that was in front of him. I don't think he intended to hurt the guy, but he did hurt the guy. He ended up getting defaulted. And frankly, as you, you quite rightly say, when the racket slipped out of Djokovic's hand, if it had hit the line judge, 
I'm afraid there's no decision to make other than to, to disqualify him. At least that's how it would seem to me. I think Djokovic realised that as well. It's fault by negligence, isn't it? It's it's complete lack of consideration for anything or anyone else around you. And I suppose, you know, reckless decision-making in the heat of the moment can be, if not excused, it can be explained. Um, but, you know, it's all signs that, like we were talking about with Serena, this is stressful for Djokovic. There is no doubt this is stressful with every round that goes by. He wants it more... It feels more possible, you know, and you you can imagine him thinking, if not now, then when? And I ju- and this, the 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 pressure that must place on him, you know, never mind the pressure that external forces are placing on him. He must be thinking, if not now, when? And then all the other thoughts he'll be having. Well, you know, I always beat Murray in Grand Slam finals recently, but then you know Murray beat me in Rome and. All of these thoughts are, are churning in him and the stress is very, very visible. The stress is very, very visible. Now, now ahead of the Australian Open final between Murray and Djokovic, we were all wondering how Murray was going to find a way past Djokovic back then. You'll remember that Djokovic eventually won it in four sets. But before that final, we did speak to some of the greats of the game. There was uh, Mats Verlander, Mark Philippoussis and Thomas Johansson. Let's hear from them all. I think that Andy has to mix it up. He, he cannot uh, try to beat Novak in his best game. He really has to try to play with a lot of variation. He has to be very aggressive on his second serve and maybe try to you know, come to the net once in a while. So who wins and how many? I would, my prediction is uh, Novak in four. Andy has a chance, but I believe in order for him to beat him, he needs to get out of his comfort zone. I, I, it's important for him to take risks. Um, your it's two guys that move just as well as each other, two incredible counterpunchers, but unfortunately he's come across only one more person who's a better counterpuncher than him, and that's Djokovic. You know, um, so, and, and right now he's in another level. You, to play out of your comfort zone and be aggressive best of out of five sets is incredibly tough against him. Guys that beat him best out of three, best out of five is incredibly tough. One guy he lost to was, was um, Ravinka. And that's because Ravinka, no matter what the score was, he always went for his shots. Even when he was missing, he kept on going for his shots. And, and I think that, that was a difference. Um, and and um, Murray, I know that's not his game. I know he, he, he hits from the baseline. He loves being on the run. He loves being defensive. Against Djokovic, he, uh, that can't work. Not in, not in best of five sets. Maybe in a best of three. Not in a best of five. So for him to have a chance... Unless it's going to be, if he doesn't do this, it's going to be four sets for Djokovic. But he needs to get out of his comfort zone. He needs to mix it up by coming to net a little bit, sneaking in the net because he's improved his volleys um, and take chances. That's what I believe has to happen. And if he does that, he has a chance of winning. Yes. I think the right way is a little bit of uh, a little bit of dead balling down the middle, a la Gilles Simon. Um, I think some of it's. A little bit of uh, Roger Federer, which is uh, taking uh, Djokovic's second serve, especially with his own backhand, Andy, and uh, and make sure that Novak knows he can't hit short serves to my backhand. I think that he needs to throw in a few slice backhands, keep the ball low to Novak's uh, backhand mainly, but also out, sort of an inside out to Novak's forehand. Hope that Novak puts it up high in the middle of the court and then attack the next one. Um, you're going to have to do a bit of running once you do that but um, I, I do believe that he needs to throw in you know 
one or two serve and volley points just to keep Novak on guard. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very, very complicated uh, puzzle that he has to put together. And you have to be emotionally and, and mentally ready to, to make decisions that are necessarily not going to make you win the points but it's going to set the tone for the match and you can go back to that play once you get tired or once it's a big point. And, um, I mean, it's going, to have to, it's going to have to put together a masterpiece tactically, that's for sure. But Andy Murray has every single shot in the book to do that. And I think that we still haven't really seen um, the best of Andy Murray in that way. He did it in Wimbledon. He did it at the US Open when he beat Novak. I think Novak wasn't as good then as he is now. So it's going to be tricky, but uh, it, it needs to be fun because that's a fun match to play. So, Catherine, that was back a few months ago ahead of the Australian Open final. Do those arguments that all of those gentlemen have made there still apply in terms of this being the ultimate challenge for any tennis player and the strategy that Andy Murray needs to try to employ in order to come through. Do you, do you think we're in the same situation just Groundhog Day as we were four or five months ago? No, I don't, actually. I mean, I think uh, some uh, some and many of the things still apply. And at the end of the day, they still have the same games and the, 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 the dynamic between them, therefore, to an extent, remains the same. But I do th- see this really, really different for a start Andy Murray doesn't have a baby imminently on the way we don't know how big a factor that was in the Australian Open but I think that combined with what happened to Nigel Sears I think possibly the latter actually affected him even more so than the former it certainly did play a part uh, in the Australian Open final I think the Rome final is significant. I think it's particularly significant for Andy Murray. I think Djokovic can probably discount it and go, whatever, best of three sets. Generally speaking, I've got the better of this guy. But for Andy Murray mentally, it's really important for me. I think, the. I mean, the. you can see how, not this is necessarily a factor in, in, in the final, but the pride that Andy Murray feels in this achievement, I don't think he feels any pressure to win this one I think he knows and feels that this is an immense achievement that he's managed to make the final here he started his career even when he started winning grand slams and and contending at grand slams I don't think this really felt like a real achievable thing for him to even reach a French Open final he's had to work incredibly hard at something that doesn't necessarily come naturally in order to get here and I think he feels an immense amount of pride in that he's reached all four Grand Slam finals now that's something that Pete Sampras didn't do remember Pete Sampras the great Pete Sampras he couldn't reach a French Open final it's really something and I think Murray Murray feels that it's really something he's really proud of himself and I don't think he's going to put the same pressure on himself that he would going into you know what turned out to be you know the umpteenth consecutive Australian Open final defeat to to Novak Djokovic you know that that was gutting you know I think he probably went into that one as Djokovic might be going into this one thinking oh god if not now then when am I ever actually gonna win an Australian Open final against Novak Djokovic. So I think the dynamics are a bit different. Look, Djokovic is the favourite. Of course he's the favourite. But I think there's an awful lot of other things going on 
with this one that weren't going on in Australia. The stress of Djokovic, that that Rome final, the the pressure being slightly different, the conditions significantly. I I, I don't know who the crowd are going to favour. Djokovic is quite popular in Paris, possibly more so than elsewhere you know remembering the ovation that he received after he lost the final last year that was very warm indeed I don't know um whose side the crowd will be on historically the French aren't massive fans of the British but uh, (laughs) but maybe they've warmed to us I don't know um yeah so I, I I mean look it's not a completely different kettle of fish it's the same two tennis players stepping out on the court they've got the same forehands backhands and and serves but for me, there are some significantly different dynamics going on there. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was a good stat on Pete Sampras. I forgot that. And, if, and you're right. I mean, if you think of the history of the game, just highlights again what these four players in particular have done over the last decade. I mean, Andy Murray is effectively the poor relation, given what Federer, Nadal and Djokovic have put on the on the table in terms of Grand Slam titles. One, he's only won two and they're all in double figures. But in terms of the number of Grand Slam semis and finals he's reached and now to have reached the final of all four, it's a massive achievement. And, and it's Maria Sharapova-like, isn't it, in terms of his way of getting used to the surface and becoming so effective on it. Incidentally, Brad Gilbert today making a very big point on Twitter that he feels and he has felt for a while all this year that clay is now Andy Murray's best surface. Um, Mats Valander was was suggesting that a little bit today. We've had John McEnroe talking about how he feels this is the best chance Andy Murray would ever have to win the French Open. That was a couple of rounds ago when he was facing Richard Gasquet. And certainly... I mean, look, he's still got to play the ultimate challenge in tennis. He's got Novak Djokovic. This guy is head and shoulders the world number one. But we are in unknown territory for both players here. Neither of them knows what it is like to win the French Open. And that makes this all the more intriguing because we don't know who it's going to affect the most. And, um, And, well, I just can't wait. It's going to be absolutely cracking, isn't it? Let's just check on what everybody thinks is going to happen. We ran a poll, of course we did, at Tennis Podcast to find out what everybody you, thinks. In case We're going to hear hear it through the airways. I'm uh, airwaves. I'm I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, we can kind of feel that. We don't even have, have to hear it. Uh, we've we've got uh, 352 votes over the last uh, few minutes, and we have a 59 percent in favour of Andy Murray and 41% in favour of Novak Djokovic. I should say that probably we have more Andy Murray fans following the tennis podcast simply because uh, we're British and it's uh, and, and he's a British player, I would imagine. But I also do feel, Catherine, that if that poll had been taken six months ago, it would not be reading that. I think you, you're quite right. Things have changed a little bit. I think uh, most people here think that Murray will win in three or four or Djokovic will win in three or four. There's a, there's a number that think Murray might do it in five and outlast Djokovic. And, of course, that is the result that we had a year ago at the French Open in the semi-finals. Catherine, you said at the outset of the tournament that Novak Djokovic would win it. What are you saying I feel now? exactly the same as I did at the beginning of the tournament. I have to predict Djokovic to win it. He is the favourite. He's the best tennis player in the world. But there is just just a a part of me in my gut that's saying Andy Murray's going to win this and I can't get rid of it. But uh, look, my my prediction, if we're putting something down on paper, is Novak Djokovic. But I, I do want to give an honourable mention to, to my slight 
No, hold on a minute. I don't want any of this. Oh, I, well, I told you my gut but, feeling but, if I it mean, happens. Ha- and, but, oh, it, no, I was impossible. on paper how and I said, no, that Djokovic. To, to win anything at the moment. How I, I, I don't see how you can really do that. But, I mean, I've... I, 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 yeah, but what do you actually think? I mean, I don't, you know, don't give me all this, well, you can't predict. I actually think it's about 50-50, honestly. I really do. Who's going to win? I think it's pretty... Well, I'm saying Djokovic, as I say. If I'm putting story, something down Djokovic. on the record, I'm saying Djokovic. But but I think honestly, it's 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 about fifty fifty. I really do think that. How many sets? Almost impossible to say. Actually, it could. It, I mean, I think if Djokovic is, I think if Murray's going to win it, it'll be probably in four. I think if Djokovic is going to win it, it could be anything but i mean come on i'll say djokovic in five then if if my neck insists or if you insist on my neck being on the line oh i do in five i do uh well i i think djokovic in four or five and i will say four because i think that that's the most typical scoreline between the two i i i still feel the same i mean the the fact of the way Murray's playing is as well as I've ever seen him play. The 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 last um, match that I've just seen him play against Vavrinka, I thought he was majestic and he was hitting the ball so hard. I mean, he was going toe to toe with Sam Vavrinka and he was winning some of those rallies on brute force, which um, I, I was shocked by. The other thing is that the, particularly what what sprung out to me in that match was how beautifully that backhand down the line is firing and that's really important against Novak Djokovic the other thing that I think possibly which I can slightly attribute my um, my contrary my contrary gut feeling to is after that first round marathon match against what he was referred to on Twitter as the ancient Radek Stepanek, <laughs> which is a bit harsh. Uh, he was two points away from losing in the first round to Radek Stepanek and Andy Murray came into press and I ran that press conference and there was a moment when, you know, he was asked a pretty general question about, you know, how do you feel about that match? And he said that could turn out to be one of the biggest wins of, of my life. And I got a bit of a, a shiver down my spine, you know. It just felt like one of those. Th- this could be completely ridiculous, you know. How I'm a, I'm, I'm a rubbish predictor. I'm over sentimental. I, I, you know, I. But I did just get a a bit of a feeling, and I, I, I just had that moment of thinking, I'm going to remember him saying that, and now I'm remember him rem- remembering him saying that. And let's just, you know. In posterity, edit this portion of the podcast out when he inevitably loses <laughs> to Djokovic <laughs> on right. Sunday, and we'll repost it free, okay. free of all this rubbish. But yeah, right there, it okay, is. Okay, fine. Well, I, I just, I still feel that Djokovic is is ready, and the time will come when he will come out and play his statement tennis that he he so often plays in these big matches against the best players, and he has that ability, doesn't he? To the same way as Murray had the ability to neutralise Vavrinka today with all those different types of paces and, and then the power, Djokovic has invariably had that same ability to neutralise Andy Murray with depth, with his movements, with just the sheer precision and persistence and consistency that he has. And I think that that will ultimately tell. But I think it's... I'd be surprised if it wasn't at least four sets. And, well, let's hope we have a great final. It's going to be fascinating. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Back to that old uh, equality point. We didn't do predictions for the women's final, David. Didn't we? 
No. Oh, well, I said Serena Williams to win the tournament against Garbinia Magarutha in the in... final at the outset of the tournament, Catherine well, no, Mexico. No. So, you know. Okay. I predicted that both wasn't, finals correctly. That wasn't me giving you an opportunity to be smug, though. Well, you you've got it. Misread it so as just such. deal with it because that's the fact. Well, how many sets is it going to be? Uh, I think it will be three. Yeah, I think it will be three. I th- I'd, I'd, again, I feel, I feel as though the four players that we have are all playing too well and are all sufficiently experienced to play well in this final. And I think if they all play well, uh, I, I, would, I would expect Muguruza to push Williams and, and win a set. Oh, yeah. I th- I'd be surprised if she didn't win a set, actually. I really, I really think it will be competitive. I'm going for Serena in three. Um, but it could, be, could easily not be that. Uh, but I'm going for Serena in three. There you go, uh, tipsters. Uh, I'm going for Serena in three, but it could easily not be that. So anyway, that's Catherine Whitaker's little uh, guarantee of what's going to happen. So get hey, your money on all that. Uncertainty and um, self-deprecation is preferable to smugness any day, David. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm all for smugness. Uh, just very quickly, Catherine, um, when we were you were talking about that great press conference that Murray did when he was talking about the Stepanek victory potentially being one of the best of his career obviously he then went and had another five setter in the next round and at that point Catherine I posed on Twitter at Tennis Podcast uh, for people to come up with their tennis Houdini acts from tennis years gone by and there were some absolute corkers of players that were in real strife and ended up still winning a Grand Slam title some corkers here listen to this we've got uh, Boiled Egg Whoever came up with that uh, Twitter handle needs to have a think. Uh, who said, surely the best one is Stefan Edberg from a breakdown in the fifth set in the last 16 of the US Open in 1992 against Richard Krejcik. He was a breakdown, fifth set, won it. But oh no, that wasn't the end of it. He then went five sets against Lendl in the quarters. Then he went five sets against Chang in the longest match in US Open history. And then he faced Pete Sampras in the final and beat him in four sets. How about that for a tennis Houdini act from Stefan Edberg? We've got Ewan McQueen in Scotland who says, what about Goran Ivanisevic in 2001? He had a five-setter in the final and in the semi, plus, and don't forget that was three days against Tim Hemmond, plus four setters against Safin and Roddick, and he was a wild card, hashtag tennis Houdini. We've got Declan McDonald from Northern Ireland. What about Agassi Medvedev? 1999 French Open, two sets down, Agassi never won the title. He was going for the career slam, and he made it happen. Jonathan Woodrow says Federer, two sets down, 3-4, 30-40 against Tommy Haas, who incidentally has just been announced as the new Indian Wells tournament director tonight uh who uh tommy haas uh was uh, so two sets up four three up 40 30 on federer's serve federer saved it and went on to win that title with an incredible inside out forehand onto the line mary smythe says in ireland what about novak beating federer at the u.s open in 2011 facing two match points hits an epic cross-court forehand return goes on to win the title tennis houdini and finally stephen fraser on a murray note Vadasco, Wimbledon, 2013, two sets down, went on to win the title. Hang on, you haven't mentioned mine. Mine was really good, I thought. I thought it deserved a mention. Sorry, was this the one where I overruled your match point and you went on to beat me twice? Is that the one? No, because you didn't actually get out of that. I don't think that's anything Houdini would have been remembered. Oh, OK, so of. what's yours then? Mine was Roddick Nalbandian 
US Open 2003 semi-final. Roddick saved a match point in the third set tie-break and came back to win. Happy memories. Happy memories indeed, yes. Of course, Roddick's only Grand Slam title. Amazing to think, isn't it? When you see a player win a Grand Slam title the way Roddick did and he went to world number one to think he was 21 years of age and that he didn't win another one. And it shows how great Federer was, particularly in the five years that followed and uh, and all the rest is history, as they say. Well, Catherine, what we do know for sure is we've got an emotional and hopefully fantastic weekend of tennis to look forward to. It's It's... It deserves it, Paris, doesn't it, after the week, the couple of weeks it's just had? We deserve it. I've, I, I trudged into just Roland Garros Just us, just us on the day. tennis podcast. And you but listeners, just us. Through the, you know, the, the half a mile walk being patted down by security at sort of 10 metre in, intervals in a not particularly effective way. <laughs> uh uh, you know, have, stepping in numerous puddles, being made to undo your jacket. I mean, I just arrived every day feeling rather bedraggled. Did you ever find the quiche? <laughs> no, no. You've From given that up perspective, quiches, also you? a total disaster. And do you know what? In the Eurostar on the way home, there was a, a family that had a quiche picnic. I mean, they must did have you had. Cash? They must have had ten quiches on the go, and, and there were only four of them. How many did you eat of those ten? I felt like you'd organised it or something. It was, well, did they? It invite was. You it or? was salt in a very still raw wound. So they didn't even take pity and just say, "Catherine, do you fancy a quiche?" No, I mean, I didn't want to be um, that freak on the Eurostar that's inviting themselves to other people's quiche parties. Yeah, but, you, but... all you needed to say was, hello, I'm Catherine Whitaker, Tennis Podcast. You know that quiche I was talking about on the show the other day. Can I, um, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, they were probably listening to the Tennis Podcast while they were eating the quiche, frankly. Probably. That's that's why they're having a, key, a Tennis Podcast quiche party, is what it was. <laughs> uh, and if that is you listening to us right now, thank you for... Uh, um, stopping Catherine having the quiche because we know it's you know it's not the best thing for you, isn't it? Actually, but anyway, uh, hey, the salmon and broccoli one wasn't oh. bad. Oh, okay, that Sorry. was my fave. I think it's time to stop, Catherine. We started talking about quiche again, and uh, it's been very nice talking to you. We are the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph. We have a couple of fantastic finals to look forward to. We got the doubles finals as well. Follow the lot, and we will be back to talk to you about it all after the event. We've got the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club coming up in just over a week's time, and we hope we're not going to get any rain there. We don't usually. I usually organise that we don't. You know, it's one of the plus points of being six foot seven you can have a, a quick chat up there in the clouds and uh, you don't get any rain but anyway we are the tennis podcast thanks for listening speak to you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 